this is Dragon Talk. Well, hello and welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Mark Griffiths from the Wrexham Supporters Association's Football Commentary and I've got a couple of treats lined up for you this week as well. In a bit, we'll be previewing the game at Mansfield with John Lomas, who's the sports editor for the Mansfield Chad and is also a contributor on their excellent podcast, Stag Talk, which is uh, one of the competitors I know, but it is a very good listen. But firstly, I had a chat with... Stuart Hammonds from the non-league paper. The non-league paper is the, the Bible of, of non-league football. It's it's a really, really good reason. I, I sit there religiously pouring through it every week to try and swat up on the opposition. And Stuart writes a very good column, apart from all his match reports, just showing uh, the knowledge that he's got as a, an ex-player. And he does get the inside line on an awful lot of stuff. So I thought I'd catch up with him to ask him well, what he thought about Wrexham's situation at the moment and also about non-league football and the conference in general. He wrote a really interesting article in um, in the non-league paper about Dean Saunders and about how maybe, well, maybe it's good to have an experienced non-league manager in uh, you know, at, at non-league level. And that was certainly an article that got, my, got me thinking as well. I, th- I, th- I think you got a point. Yeah, it's... Um... You know, I've seen it the, over the years. Where Peter Taylor obviously came in last year at Stevenage, uh, and he, he was signing players left, right, and centre, um, and they just weren't they weren't the players to get Stevenage out of the the conference. You know, they'd had such a great start under Mark Stimson, and they were in the in the driving seat really for a long time, and then. Suddenly, um, I mean, it didn't help him that four players left to go and join Mark Stimson at Gillingham. But, but um, the players he was signing, you know, you're looking at them and thinking these aren't going to get you promoted. And funnily enough, one of them has just turned up at Wrexham in the last couple of days. Oh, uh, Williams? No, actually Westwood. Oh, Westbeck, I think he's calling Williams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, centre half. He was. Um, I mean, at the end of towards the end of the season, every time you turn Satanta on or. or, or Stevenage is the most local club to me, so I go down there quite a lot. Um, you know, every game he was sort of giving a goal away or conceding a penalty. And, you know, you, you do uh, you do wonder. But he's, um, yeah, I thought that they might have gone for a man that knows the conference, like uh, I mentioned in my piece, Jim Harvey at Forest Green, who did such a good job at Morecambe for 12 years. And, you know, he's, at, um, he's actually got links um, pretty close to Wrexham, you know, he lived on the Wirral mm. for for years, and uh, he, he would have been keen, I'm sure, to have taken a big job on like that. And and there's others, you know, I was getting calls from managers in the football league still that have been in non-league before, and you know, they they know the conference, they've won the conference, and they they'd be willing to take a step back down to to have a crack at it. So I, I just thought he he might have uh, Jeff Moss might have gone for somebody with that experience, but then again, you can't knock Dean's record so far. Two wins, two games, two wins and six goals. Yeah, and, and bless them, they're, they're enthusiastic. Like, they never looked under little. Although, you know, a new manager, I suppose, can have that effect, but it doesn't always get sustained, does it, I suppose? Um, Harvey would have been my call, I'll be honest with you. He, I don't know if you know, he had, a, he had a brief spell on loan with us in the 80s and became like a cult figure. Yeah, he's, I, spoke to him, I spoke to him about various things and uh, he did actually say that he'd had a a loan spell there, and uh, I think he, he reminisced about uh, a program that I think he's still got where uh, he was like, you know, he was dubbed the best midfielder in a Wrexham shirt um, for years, 
Uh, and, and you know, I think he took great pride in that. Mm. Um, so yeah, he's he's a good manager at non-league level, and he, he knows the knows the division. I mean, Morecambe, I think they were a Northern Premier club when he took over, and you look at them now, and and it's and the team that took them up is something like nine of of the players that started in the playoff final at Wembley had been signed by Jim Harvey, and the two goal scorers he he actually had from schoolboys, brought them through the academy, and. He develops players, and, and they, they, his teams always play a really good passing style, um, as I've seen firsthand this season. I can't believe Forest Green are actually in the bottom four at the moment because they, they play some really good football. But they've got a wafer-thin squad, and when injuries take hold, um, you know, a, a club that hasn't got many resources like that, I suppose managers can become a bit frustrated and, and you know, feel that they're constantly uh, banging their head against a brick wall and. You know, I'd, I'd have thought Jim would have been ideal for for the Wrexham job, but obviously they've gone a different route, uh, and it seems to be working. Yeah, yeah, so far at least. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because Brian Little didn't work out, um, and I thought it was interesting. I mean, I know. I mean, again, I saw in a non-league paper to start of the season that statistically he had the best record amongst managers in the conference, but of course that was a long time ago, and I think that what happened to him showed that the conference has changed. Beyond recognition, I think, in, in recent years, it seems to me. It's be, it changed beyond recognition. I've been doing this job for eight years, and uh, you know the, the league has just changed completely in that time. I actually did the, the stats piece in which Brian came out on top, and of course he was helped by one glorious championship-winning yeah. season with Darlington. Um, so that they, you know, it doesn't perhaps train, uh, paint a true picture. Um, but you know, you look at it. Uh, there's 18 teams out of the 24 who are full-time. Um, Oxford United, Wrexham, uh, Torquay. You know, a few years ago, who would have Mansfield Town? Who would have put that money on them being in in a non-league game? Um, I think uh, you know. When I was talking earlier in the season about when, when Oxford came to the racecourse on on Satanta, and they'd have been looking at that as you know an occasional. Uh, League Two or League One game that was being televised a few years ago, wouldn't they? But uh, now it's in the conference, and it really, it really has changed. I mean, we we used to be able to phone players in the morning and managers in the morning and be able to talk to them, get interviews for the paper. But we all have to wait until after one o'clock now because they're all training in the morning. And you know, it used to be Tuesday and Thursday nights we had to avoid. And, and it's a, I must say, it fascinates me. I mean, all right, you know, I want to be back in the football league. All the old fans want to you know, go higher, don't they? But I'm really enjoying being in the non-league because the, the level of, of media coverage is, is terrific. The non-league paper being the main outlet, to be honest with you. But also, um, just, it, it just, it's such a tight league. Everyone can beat everyone else. And it's, it's it's so wide open. We can play abysmally and then a couple of wins and we're, we're back up there. And it, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating season this season, I think. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, you've been very lucky, Wrexham, having it, and the likes of Torquay, Rushton, who started slowly, Stevenage, all all the clubs who normally after ten games you would think, well, they're they're out of it. You know, they've got too much ground to make up. This season, as you quite rightly say, you string three wins together and you're suddenly in the playoff places. Um, I mean, it doesn't seem too long ago since Salisbury were top of the table and now they're they're in the bottom half and and. As I mentioned, Forest Green, you know, they they were top of the table when I saw them win one 0 at Histon and uh, at the end of August. And Jim Harvey got the Manager of the Month award, and they've not won since. So there's the curse. But uh, but yeah, it's wide open. Um, 
I think you always go, managers always look for two points a game average. Um, you know, if you're looking at a promotion winning campaign um, and you look at the top of the table, Crawley are the only team and they're, they're top uh, averaging two points a game. And, and, you know, at this stage, you'd expect the team that's top. I know in, in years gone by, Oxford were racing away with it a couple of years ago and uh, similarly Oldershot had a lot more points on the board at this stage last year um, you know, I haven't got the stats in front of me but uh, it's going to be a very very close division this year and you know you're going to be looking at the the last month to six weeks of the season a team in the bottom half could still realistically put a, a run together and get into the playoffs so uh, that's the bonus for it. May have been a disappointing start for for you Wrexham supporters, but um, that is the bonus. It, you've picked the most wide open blue square Premier season I can remember to uh, to have what you hope will be your only year down here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we hope, but yeah. I don't know. I'm not so sure. I don't know. But um, it's interesting as well. Saunders in, in both his post match conferences to date has said that his target's Crawley. Because he's not just come along to try and pull us into the playoffs. His target is to get to the very top. Mm. And I was just thinking about Crawley as well, because they're not maybe a team that were widely tipped at the start of the season. I mean, do you think, are they a side that are able to stick up there? Have we found a team that's going to stick up there now? Or, or will there be another you know, recirculation as another team hits the top, do you think? Yeah, they're a good side. Um, they play very off-the-cuff football, I'd call it. Um, three up three up front, um, two two right out on the touchline getting chalk on the boots, one on the in the middle and then the uh, midfielder joins them as well to make almost a front four. Um, uh, and I get, I get the impression what I've seen of them, and I, I admit this is only in one game, uh, and they did lose 2-1 at Burton to a last-minute penalty, but they're, they're, very, they're a flamboyant side going forward. Um, they've got two excellent central defenders who were at Halifax Town for for a couple of years um, and helped Halifax to the playoffs in 2006, if my memory serves me correctly, um, in Adam Quinn and Jake Wright. But, you know, you wonder, uh, a team that plays in that flamboyant style, whether they will get caught out when when a game's fairly tight, as it was at Burton. Um, you know, they, they obviously beat Barrow 4-0 on, on Saturday, but... In the game in between, they'd thrown a two-goal lead away against Forest Green. So um, I don't. I honestly don't know. The best side I have seen all round is Cambridge. Um, I think they can they can play a decent passing game, uh, and they're very very tight at the back. They've not conceded a goal for four games at the minute, but you do worry about their goal-scoring record. I think they've only got 18 in 15 matches, and I know their manager Gary Brabin. Uh, is very aware of that, and uh, that's the one thing that's disappointed him so far. Because he, you know, he likes to play decent attacking football. And I saw them on Saturday against Weymouth, and they tore Weymouth to shreds for the first half an hour and played some great attacking football, but just didn't have a. They got one goal, but it could have been four or five and game over. And again, you wonder whether that's going to come back and haunt them in, in some of these tight games again. But. As I said, they've got uh, some excellent defenders there and they're keeping clean sheets at the minute. Uh, and you mentioned Crawley. No, nobody sort of expecting Crawley to be up there before a ball was kicked. The team in second at the minute, Kettering, you know, nobody expected them to be there as the newly promoted side, did they? Yeah, yeah. They're very, they were very tight and organised when I've seen them. Really 
Yeah, they're they're very functional, um, almost I don't know German like in, in many ways. They're very efficient. Um, you know, I, I spoke to Mark Cooper, their manager today, because there's a a myth about them being a long ball side, uh, and I've seen them twice in the flesh this season, uh, and they played great football against Rushton, and they, they drew one one in the local derby, uh, and then against York, it was an absolute cracker. They won four two, and they weren't as free-flowing, but they, they were ruthless. They had four shots on target and scored four goals. And um, I, I think they're a very good side. And, you know, teams are... I think it often happens when a team's newly promoted. that they, they beat a team and, and the manager will say, oh, they're a long ball side, um, in many ways, to cover up. the. You know, they, they'll say, we got beaten up. You know, that they're a bunch of thugs or, or whatever to cover up the fact that they've actually been beaten by a good side. And... I do like Kettering. They've got they've got a lot of experience. Um, they haven't come up as as a team. You know, sometimes teams come up from a, a lower division and they're a bit wet behind the ears and lack experience at that level. But you look through the Kettering side and there's plenty of experience at conference and the lower levels of the football league, even the higher levels of the football league. When you you look at the likes of Lee Harper in goal, um, mm. Nicky Eden at right back and uh, you know, I think they're a very good side and, and one to look out for. I'm there this Saturday for their game with Kidderminster, and you know that that promises to be a cracker as well. It's interesting you say about you know people saying teams are long ball, and I think a lot of people in the football league have the assumption that you go into non-league and you get a lot more football like that. And I spoke speaking for the podcast. Um, to a couple of fans before the season started, they were saying that's, that's not the case. And, and they're absolutely right, because I've been really impressed. The amount of teams who just want to keep the ball on the floor and, and players, I was watching Eastbourne and Italy yesterday, and is thinking, well, you know, maybe they're not adapting all that easily, but they still look to play football. And it's been pleasing to see that. In fact, frankly, the, the most aimless long ball team I've seen so far was us in the late Brian Little era, to be honest with you. Well, there's honesty for you. I mean, I, I didn't. I, I saw um, a couple of the TV games. Um, the Oxford game, and um, uh, you know, I think that was the game when Jefferson Lewis yeah. scored his cracker right at the end, yeah. wasn't it? Um, and you know, I've I've sort of looked at, at the team you've got and the players that you've got. The like, you know, Tom Kearney is a, a, a good passer of the ball, and Jefferson, yes, he, he's a big lad, and I've actually marked Jefferson myself when really? I played <laughs> played for Hitchin Town, and I think he was on club number fourteen of his <laughs> twenty at that point, at Hemel Hempstead. Mm. And he's a real handful, you know. If you if he's running at you, no defender wants him to be running at you. Um, he didn't score against me, by the way. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's doing very well this season. And yeah. I, I always think that, um, you know, you look at strikers, they always tend to do well against their former clubs. So Jefferson <laughs> should end up with at least 20 goals this yeah. season because he's playing against a former club every other week. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, but yeah, this, they are. I, I remember after the opening day of the season, picking up the paper and reading the report of uh, your game with Stevenage, and, and you know, I was amazed. And then the people I spoke to afterwards that had been there that, uh, when I went down to Stevenage a couple of days later for their game with Eastbourne, funnily enough, uh, and they all said, you know, for an hour we played really good football, yeah. and I think that's what came out from Brian Little's quotes. To be fair to him, and what I read. Um, you know, in the local press uh, in North Wales. And, uh, you know, that just goes to show a team that there are some pretty sides uh, in the Blue Square Premier. But, 
you know, sometimes pretty sides have a soft underbelly, don't they, and and tend to get hammered as Stevenage did that day. But you know, they're they're, they're playing they're playing good football. I've seen them three or four times now, and and they're getting there. Um, they've had a whole new side signed by Graham Wesley in his second spell as manager there, and he's had to change the style from which he played originally because he was a a bit more of a direct manager, uh, or his teams played more direct football in his first spell and. You know they're they're playing well. Um, I wrote a piece on Sunday about all the good football insides I've seen, and I, it's really good. I'm, I haven't even Saturday the second half at Cambridge was a bit tedious, but the first half more than made up for that because it was an absolute cracker for 30, 35 minutes. And uh, you know I've not I've not seen a bad game yet really this season, which tells you that uh, there must be some decent quality on show. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, I've enjoyed it. I think entertainment and you know, teams playing football, it's better than League Two, from my experience. I think the stigma's gone now, hasn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. Dropping yeah. into non-league. Um, obviously, the number of big clubs that are in there helps that fact. But I think we've also seen teams go on the uh, in the FA Cup and, and play decent football. You know, look at their conference south, but having to Waterlooville last year at Anfield. Yeah. Um, you know, for half an hour or so, they they more than matched Liverpool, didn't they? And it's it's the stigma's gone. It's not it's not part time. Train Tuesday and Thursdays, turn up on a Saturday after five pints on a Friday night, and then just boot it as far as you can. It, that's gone now. Um, and I think it's you know it's all for the the better of English football. I think I always say this as well. And one of the things that that did help is the ITV digital collapse um, what we're talking six years ago now seven years ago the better players started to look into the the conference because they realized not the better players but better players started to come into the conference earlier it used to be that a 37 38 year old would come into the conference and just pick up a bit of spare cash at the end of his career but players were dropping out of the football league a lot at a lot younger age, um, because of that, and also because of the influx of foreign players at the higher level, they weren't getting the chance higher up. And I, I think personally that has strengthened the non-league game um, because you, uh, players are, are actually there is decent money to be made. There are full-time contracts, and players aren't so, so afraid to drop out at such an early age. And you know, I think the um, they also realise, as you, you quite rightly pointed out a few minutes ago, Mark, that the, the profile's there as well for them to attract the attention to, to go back up. I mean, Michael Kitely is a, a prime example yeah, of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I find this great. I mean, the non-league paper's terrific. I, I really love having something you know in my hands to look at rather than just swatting up on the, the club's websites. And I write the away, the away team's profiles in the programme at Wrexham. And all of a sudden, I've got I've got material to go on and stories, and, and I know when I'm commentating, I know the other teams, and I've seen them on TV, and I've read about them, rather than working out just exactly you know what's going, who these Bournemouth players are, um, and it, that's a, a real treat for me to be honest. You know, I feel really connected with it all. It's, uh, that's it's good a, to hear, and you know, many clubs before you have, have said. I remember going up to see the people at Carlisle when they came down, and a massive club. Mm. Uh, you just have to look at them now and they were you know they, obviously they get their local press uh, and they get their coverage there but they were used to 50 words in the news of the world on a mm. Sunday morning and if that and yeah. 
you know, suddenly they got a 600-word match report, uh, all their news. We, we used to do two papers in those days as well, so we did a, a Friday edition and a Sunday edition, and the Friday edition had a preview of their game, and, you know, they, they, they loved it. Um, and I think that's what a lot of clubs find, and it's... It's certainly uh, certainly good for us because there's always plenty to plenty to write about, and I mean we we could fill three or four papers every week. Um, you know, there, there's so obviously so many clubs in non-league. Um, you pick up your your papers during the week or on a Sunday, and they, they focus just on one division, don't they? And that's the, the Premiership. But obviously we've got we've got hundreds of them out there, and we we just wish we could give every league as much. As much coverage as obviously we we have to do the conference or the Blue Square Premier as it's now called because of uh, that's where the crowds are and and obviously that's where we'll make the sales from the supporters to keep us going. And I must say it's it's fun as well. I know it's, I I don't I don't want the word novelty to come over the wrong way, but just just going to new places and and meeting new people and the fact that. So many non-league clubs are so welcoming. I mean, I've got to be honest. When we were drawn at home to Harrogate or Eastwood in the cup, there's a big part of me thinking I want to be away to them actually, just because I want to go there. And you know, having seen what it's like at Grays, when they were really welcoming, even though the football match from our point of view was terrible. Um, going to Altrincham, and they're delighted because we bought we bought so many that they're the biggest crowd in 17 years. But there's no segregation. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 tremendous. So Salisbury were lovely. You know, I mean, it's it's a real pleasure to go around these places. Although, like I said, part of me says, but I don't want to do it again. But yeah. but it's but it's a it's a great experience. I gotta say. Well, that's it. You see, you're seeing some of the some of the sights of English football. Sorry. You know, you go to Grays, and uh, I remember going there as a player when in the Ryman Premier Division when I played for Sutton United, and uh, they were watched by crowds of 200, 250, mm. uh, and yes, they're they're still one of the minnows in the conference. Really, and that they've got their their problems that have been brought to the fore in the last couple of days yeah. with their finances, etc. But um, you know how far they've come is, is unbelievable. And you go there and you get a proper Essex welcome. <laughs> um, but there are loads. I mean, East, you mentioned Eastwood there, um, who you've drawn in the FA Cup, and that's one of my. I'm actually from Nottingham originally, so it was one of my local clubs, and I remember playing in local cup finals on the slope there. So if, if you do end up, going, oh no, you're actually at home, aren't you? We're at home, yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you end up with a replay at Eastwood, you you better take the skis or the cable car <laughs> to get up there. But uh, you are you see some real sights, and there's some uh, there's some real um, character at the grounds yeah, as yeah, well um, at some of them, and obviously. A lot of the grounds, you, you were at Forest Green a, a week or so yeah. ago, and that's a brand new stadium. Uh, you've still got Burton Albion to come, I think. Mm, yes, that's right. Um, yeah. Another another stadium that's only three years old. So you, you do get you get the nice old grounds, and you also get the the state of the art um, stadia that that tell you that non-league isn't the the backwater it used to be. As, as, as I say again, it, you know there are some really progressive clubs. Um, with facilities that, I mean, Rushton and Diamonds, um, yeah, yeah they, they've obviously been in the league for a few years, but and their ground was built by one man's money, yeah, yeah. obviously, but clubs in the championship would crave for the facilities that Rushton mm. have got. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it really is a, as you say, a, a cracking day out to go to some of these places and meet some of the people who really are the, 
you know, football supporters are great. Whether you know, I've got, I've got respect for people who pay fifty pounds to watch QPR, mm. um, people who pay three pound fifty to watch a, a game in the the West Cheshire League or, or somewhere like that. But you know that you, you do feel that the the people that are at some of these non-league games, um, they're there out of sheer devotion and and love for their club and. Um, you know, there are some real characters there as well. <laughs> well I, I loved, um, you know, having spent years going schlepping around all these grounds on industrial estates that all look pretty much the same and they're big and impressive, but they've got no soul to them. I love going to these venues. And like I say, you go to Grey's and the players get changed at the bottom floor of a block of flats. And yeah. then I interviewed on the phone beforehand their vice chairman. And then when I meet him on the day, he's this great, lovely fellow with piles of tattoos up each arm and, and you just think you don't get that whenever you know it, it's it's very uniform in the football league and it's just it's just it's great fun it's really good well, fun well yeah. mick woodward the greys chairman and mm. owner and manager for the start of this season <laughs> um i mean mick he's a he gets a lot of stick and he, he's a bit of a rogue he flies off the handle every now and again and the toys will come out of the pram but he loves that club, and yeah. I know one of our reporters went down. Uh, I've I've met Mick several times over the years, but one of our other reporters went down one particular day, and he, he walked through the gates of the ground, and you know he seen a, a guy uh, with his old jeans on and polyfiller all on his t-shirt and concrete all on his hands, and he said, you know, can you? I've come to to interview the chairman, Mick Woodward. Can you tell me where he is? You know, direct me to the. Uh, direct me to the boardroom so, and, and this hand covered in concrete goes out to pleased to meet you I'm Mick Woodward the chairman <laughs> you know and he's actually building the, the stand himself oh wow um, and you get as I say characters mm. like that at every club um, you know where, where it, people have to muck in and, and do the jobs mm. because there's no there's no bottomless pit to, to pay for the, the huge contractors to come in and, mm. and help you. Oh, you have to get your hands dirty, and there's certainly certainly plenty of that in the Blue Square Premier and below. So, yeah, yeah the top man, Stuart Hans. His column's well worth a read. Uh, I saw something rather peculiar in the Daily Post this morning, actually, something which the forums like Red Passion doesn't seem to have, have picked up upon. There's a story about John Toshak who has been told, it's claimed by a source within the Welsh FA, that he has got the job of Welsh manager for as long as he wants, which I, I, can, I can certainly live with that. I think Toshak's doing a sound enough job. But it was interesting to see that they said, well, they might you know, be able to give him a contract and he'll stay longer. He might choose not to. He's 60 now. He's already got, he's got a home in the Basque Country. He's got a home in, in Marbella. And he may decide he just wants to retire. And they talked about possible successes. And Dean Sorda's name came up. It was said that the Welsh FA thought extremely highly of him. And thus they were massively impressed. And thus, as it stands, he might be the favourite to take over from Toshak. And it was then said... And I really, I'd like, firstly, to know if this is true, and secondly, to know where exactly this comes from. They then says him doing the job part-time while staying in charge of Wrexham would be no problem. Now, really? I'm not so sure, really. Uh, that seems a bit surprising to me. Surely, um, in going off to scout for the Welsh team, because he's a full-time, well, because he's the manager of the full team, surely... 
he's going to be watching totally different games from the games that he wants to watch if he's going to try and help Wrexham. As Stuart said then, you need certain types of player to try and help you out of the conference. And not necessarily players that he'll be looking at to put straight into a World Cup qualifier. And not, I don't mean to sound patronising towards the players actually looking for, but I mean, it's a, it, that's a given, I'd imagine. So that was a strange one. I'm not quite sure how to interpret it. Anyway, let's get on with business, because I also caught up, as I said before, with John Lomas, the sports editor of the Mansfield Chad, to see what he thinks of Saturday's upcoming match. Uh, things have been a bit rough lately at Field Mill, it seems, on the pitch at least. Yeah, I mean, at the start of the season, Billy McEwen came in very, very late as manager. Um, the new owners came in very, very late to take over, and when Billy came in, he, he inherited two on contract um, senior pros so really everything was thrown together at the last minute um, it was a side of people obviously at that stage that nobody else wanted to sign and um, he, he managed to put the, the side together get them out on the pitch and they started getting results straight away um, probably overachieved in, in those first 12 games uh, but certainly in, in recent games they've started to underachieve um, players that Mansfield Town supporters know are capable of an awful lot more have faded quite badly and uh, we one win in seven um, three successive defeats following that one at Burton this week it's been a, a tough time and on top of that of course it's been the points deduction as well well yeah I mean, I mean we know we were the first football league team to have points knocked off us and, and it hit us very very hard uh, you know how, how do you think the players will react to that will they, will they have the same effect you think well I mean Billy McEwen had hoped that it would, it would galvanise the players and, and everybody had kind of grouped together and say, right, you know, let's show them. But unfortunately, it hasn't worked out that way. Um, it's not that they're playing terribly badly. I mean, they did knock the ball about quite sweetly at times at Burton, but they're not showing any penetration at all up front. And um, he's changing it round. He's doing 4-3-3, 4-4-2, and um, nothing much seems to be coming coming off for them at the moment. So um, he, he did say last night that may, maybe this is the time to delve into the budget that he's kept to one side and uh, really start to change it around. He's, he's found it very difficult to bring other players in while they were doing well. But now um, those players aren't playing quite so well for him. It's a very, very wafer-thin squad. And obviously with a four-point deduction to come, I think probably next week, um, all of a sudden they're going to have gone from the top of the table exactly one month ago to... Uh, a couple of points off the relegation spots. It's a bit of a sticky situation that four-point deduction as well, because I believe, isn't it right? You've, you're fined by FA rules, but not by conference rules as well. It seems, seems a bit uh, hair-splitting, doesn't it? It does, although I do believe that it's going to be the other way around with the uh, the other charge against Mansfield, which is oh. the Aaron O'Connor case. I mean, the um, the one where they've had the four points deducted was basically a fax that was sent, sent to BSP headquarters with the names and details of the players that they just signed on. Um, it was sent on time, it was proven it was sent on time, and they, they got it through the post as well a, a couple of weeks later. But the fax didn't actually spew out at their end at BSP headquarters. I think there's a bit of a problem with the fax machine that week. And because nobody in the office, in the, in the midst of all the chaos, had actually rung them to say it is there, isn't it? Because it said it had gone to the Mansfield end. Um, being a little bit pedantic and <laughs> sticking to the rules, they said, sorry, but they're not eligible. Uh, but the Aaron O'Connor one, um, Greys have claimed that Aaron O'Connor had uh, told them that he was going to stay with them for the season. They got him signed on a one-year option. Um, Mansfield took him on as a free agent. His, ag- his agent said that he, he was um, a free agent and that he's available to play for Mansfield. So that one's in the hands of the FA at the moment, and that one is the FA rather than the BSP. And hopefully, at least that one can be cleared up, and uh, they can get on with the rest of the season without any more of these points deductions and worries over the head. Yeah, exactly. Because gosh, waiting for more things to happen is not not what you want. Um, I, I must say that I, I love Stag's talk. I think it's it's excellent, and a common theme is a standard in the conference. That's right. I mean, you, you kind of look back on the, on the last couple of seasons in the league, and you think, well, if we'd got him or we'd got him still in this in this 
division would be eating it up. Um, the teams near the top, Crawley, Burton, Stevenage, um, they're, they're, they're reasonable sides that, that um, would, would give a few sides in, in League 2 a game, although not necessarily uh, be successful in that division. But certainly at the other end, there, there seems to be quite a lot of dross, and um, it is very frustrating not to not to be you know, at least up there challenging for top spot at the moment. But when you say about ex-players who would tear up the division, I assume... You're not referring to Jeff Louis and Simon Brown who will be coming back on Saturday, then? <laughs> well, I, I think it's going to be almost inevitable that those two are going to notch on Saturday. Um, Simon Brown was an immensely frustrating player at Mansfield Town. Um, every time he, he formed a good link with somebody, notably Richie Barker, um, he, he looked a, a hell of a prospect. And then he'd pick up a niggling injury. He'd, um, he'd spend a few weeks out with that. He'd come back for half a game, pick up another niggling injury. And um, and then, you know, maybe he'd have a run in the team where he'd do nothing, he'd pick up another injury. And you, you just think, well, we know you've got it in you. But uh, actually getting him in there to do it regular was, was hell on earth. Um, Jefferson Louis, he, he came in towards the end of last season, um, had a, a quick-fire succession of goals and became a, a bit of a, a cult hero. Um, but unfortunately, it was considered he, he hadn't done enough to stay. And uh, when the club went down, he, he elected to move to Wrexham, obviously. And um, he's, he's obviously found his shooting boots there. It might be, might be just fulfilling, fulfilling the same pattern again of having a good start. I don't know. He's not doing badly, bless him. He's, he's got his limitations, but you can see positives as well. And no, one he's, la- an aw- he's an awkward character, and I wouldn't like to defend against him. No, no, it's, it's <laughs> exactly. He's, he's a tricky bloke. Um, uh, one last thing I was going to ask as well, again on Stagstock, I hear a player who doesn't get a great reception, um, or didn't last week, certainly, who was an ex-Rexham player, is Michael Blackwood, who we had about six, seven years ago, and he looked a decent young player, but um, he flatters to deceive, does he, I believe? Well, Mike, Michael has been playing predominantly as a left winger, and he turned up at the, the start of the season, and for the first few games, um, showed an incredible turn of pace, um, a willingness to have a go at players and take them on down that left wing. And we thought, well, at Mansfield here, we haven't really had an out-and-out proper left winger since Wayne Corden left. And uh, we, we thought, here he is, he's the answer. Um, but unfortunately, he's, he's very, very quickly faded uh, and now kind of flits in and out of games, um, comes too deep for the ball and um, generally isn't giving us any width or, or penetration down that left-hand side. Um, it's very, very frustrating because you, you do know what pace he's got and yet you know, 90 minutes goes and he, he hasn't really shown it. Uh, a couple of times he's been pulled back to left-back where he's actually been a little bit more useful. Um, but at the moment he is one of those players under immense pressure from the supporters uh, because they, they, they feel there's quite a few players out there at the moment who really aren't doing it for the club. So they are... Brown against Blackwood. <laughs> Sounds like a battle to relish. Right, it's big game coming up on Saturday. And also interesting to see just how we fare in the qualifying rounds of the FA Cup. Don't want to depress you. First time we've played in the qualifying rounds of the FA Cup since the mid-20s. Our record from the 1880s through to the 1920s in the qualifying rounds. Absolutely abysmal. So Rexham will be hoping as they take on, well, I don't know yet. As I'm recording this, Harrogus and Eastwood are playing against each other right now. I don't know how that goes out, but uh, yeah. Rexham will have to buck the trend of history to succeed there, just as have to buck the trend of history to succeed at Mansfield, a place where we consistently get poor results. So there, yeah, cheerful note to end it all on, and I'll catch up with you next week with another edition of Dragon Talk. This is Dragon Talk.